but you can hear me right oh yeah i can see and hear you really good okay all right that works that works all right cool so and it it might not be the thing i've been drinking all day so it might be me glitching over here <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i can tell um you know whiskey from wi-fi you know what i'm saying it's a little different right <laughs> <laughs> we, we, uh what, what would you and make sure you can you can make it and it's like now like that's good prayer is good you know that relationship with source is good and all that but it's like at the same time that material like we need money you know we need places that we can pass down the generations that are coming behind us like it's it's a lot bigger than just us existing like our existence whether you are tight with your your actual family family or not you might you might also have that chosen family and all this is a business you know and again I, there was a quote and i can't think of who made that quote um but basically the idea is some of us are born poor but the idea is to leave this world a rich person in every sense of that word and so I want more black people to be able to focus on that. I agree. And I hope that one day we can see that type of mindset spread across this great world. Ladies and gentlemen, I am your host, the land of a legend, AKA big T. And thank you for tuning in for another episode of the, I can't make this up podcast. You have been listening to the wise and humorous words of my next guest, Mr. Samson McCormick. Samson, please introduce yourself to my audience. Oh, man. Hello, audience. So a little bit about me. I sell dope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got a few bodies on my bread. <laughs> no, I'm playing. It's, you know, it's it, where I'm at in life is I am a, a comedian. I've been in this business now for over 20 years. I'm a filmmaker. I'm also someone who's very involved in our community with using the platform to do important work that we need to do in our community. And it's I'm, I'm happy to be Black. I'm happy to be alive. I'm happy to be who I am. And I'm happy to just be. Yeah, you're right about that. Just being here is a prize in its own, especially for Black people these days. So, you know, uh, congratulations on waking up and making it this morning, just like I did. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. You know, you know, that's when you got some shit you're dealing with when we just when we, we got to be happy that we're still alive, you know, <laughs> but that's it's still a good thing. Most definitely. Most definitely. So, uh, you know, looking at your... Uh, your bio, man. I seen that you uh you actually been in uh quite a few films. Uh, B Boy Blues, uh, Love the One You're With, uh, Different Direction. Um, what got you uh into acting? Oh wow. Okay, so well, first, 
number one is comedy. Okay. And if you're from D.C., you know, comedy is not that big of a deal for us. D.C. is comedy. You know, if you grew up, I'm I'm originally from D.C. Uh, I grew up in my earliest years on Bryant Street Northeast. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's over there by Rhode Island Avenue. And that's what we grew up doing. We grew up sitting on the porch talking about each other's mamas. <laughs> you know, yeah. talking about no, nobody knew who, or either we, we had daddies and, and we didn't know we were all sharing the same daddy. <laughs> you know, um, we, a lot of us, we, we used humor to, to get through things that we didn't understand to get through life. Humor, humor has always been a part of black culture, you know. So um, for me, it was it was comedy, but acting and and telling our stories has been important for me for many reasons. Number one is because um, media is very influential in how we understand ourselves as Black people. Mm-hmm. And also another issue that we have to deal with in the Black community is acceptance of sexuality. Like I'm a Black gay man. I've known that I was gay since I was four years old. And... Um, I get that some people are uncomfortable with that and that's okay, you know, but there need to be avenues where people who are ready to have that conversation or who are interested in parts of that conversation are able to get whatever information that they need. And I think that um, media and film is an important avenue um, to be able to do that. Okay. So, uh, what were some of your uh, influences coming up that made you, you know, uh, stretch out and try comedy and want to do it? Oh, Arsenio Hall. I think we all grew up watching Arsenio Hall, you oh, know, yeah. um, on school nights. Uh, Arsenio had this this world that a lot of us were interested in and, and celebrity back then wasn't like it is now. Now everybody's a celebrity. <laughs> now, you know, you're more special if people don't know who you are, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But back then, you know, you had Martin Lawrence, you had Eddie Murphy, you had um, all these emerging black filmmakers, Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. And it was a world I was very interested in because when you turned on the television, the only thing that you saw about black people was how we were being destroyed by the AIDS epidemic or how we were being destroyed by the drug epidemic. And for me, growing up in a place like DC, and are you from DC, T? Uh, from Landover, right outside of DC. It's, it's the same thing. It's yeah. the same area. <laughs> you know, that the, the same culture. You know, we... DMV, the great, the DM, yeah, the DMV. You know, there's a there's a certain um, because that's all we saw before gentrification. Mm-hmm. We knew there was a certain strength in being black. You know, so, and I also grew up around those brothers who, who taught conspiracy theories and sold the bean pies, and we watched Roots and. Um, we read those books. And so I grew up like that, which is why I had a very strong pro-Black foundation. So whenever I would see the news growing up at like four and five, and I saw all this stuff about how our dads were going to jail, how our brothers were going to jail for selling dope and all this other stuff, I knew that there was a lot more to us than that. And shows like Arsenio Hall, for me, countered that narrative. Mm-hmm. 
And I wanted to be a part of that because I was like, I, th- I always thought that black men in particular were a lot stronger than what we were seeing on the news. Most definitely. I think that not everybody had those strong examples coming up and that's what made them lash out and, and become bullies or be one of the corner boys or whatever, because, you know, growing up around here, you, you need tough skin. You know what I'm saying? Looking at me, I know I'm handsome and everything, but younger, I wasn't confident. People would see my head and ask me, you know, when I'm going to launch and shit like that, they used to hurt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, right, right. you know what I'm saying? After a while, I realized that I can either, I can, I can retaliate the same way they was doing and get a laugh out of it. Or I'll, you know, I'll end up fighting these dudes and get myself in worse trouble than, you know, before if I just didn't say nothing. But I wasn't going to internalize it anymore. So I think that a lot of people internalize things that don't know how to, you know, get, you know what I'm saying, get those frustrations out, you know what I'm saying, and, and not endanger themselves by lashing out physically or even verbally. You know what I'm saying? You say the wrong thing at your job and because you work for somebody else, you're gone, you know? Right, right, right. Well, you know, again, for us, humor, again, was a a huge thing because humor could make or break you. Mm -hmm. And it really is, uh, it's sad to see where we are now in the world because all humor is is the truth. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. That's what makes it funny is because you know people telling the truth. And when people, especially in the black community, and I have a joke in my comedy show right now about my teeth because, you know, I was talking about how, how I'm, I got my teeth fixed. <laughs> because when I was growing up, that's what people made fun out of. Yeah. And so the thing that's happened with a lot of people now is people can't handle the truth. Like the people are fat. You know, again, I grew up, people knew I was gay growing up, so they made fun out of me for that. But the difference was, number one, you learn how to fight. And so you learn how to gain your respect. Mm. And then number two, you learn to accept the joke. Because if you were fat, if you had messed up teeth, if your mama was bald headed, if your daddy was a, you know, um, if your daddy was gay, whatever was going on that people yeah. made fun out of. You being able to get in on the joke allowed you to accept that reality. And the reality is, is that sometimes life will deal you some unfavorable conditions. You don't get to choose what happened to you in life. The only thing you can choose is how you respond to it. How you respond to it controls whether your life is good or bad. And I feel like we had, or I think we had a grasp on that at one time, but I think we, we've kind of lost control of that, like, because everybody is, is butthurt about everything now. You know, if you gay, for instance, with this whole Dave Chappelle situation going on right now. Okay. It, 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 it makes people uncomfortable sometimes. Like, I'm, I'm gay. I know that when people first hear that, that might make some people uncomfortable. That's the reality. If people don't do that, they're like, what the hell? Is, is, is this motherfucker here trying to hit on me? <laughs> <You know? laughs> You know, and if you can get in on that joke, it makes people accept you a lot easier and a lot quicker because you're comfortable with who you are. You're able to accept the situation for what it is. And when you can accept the situation, what does that mean? You can deal with it. Mm -hmm. 
But when you're not able to deal with a situation for what it is, then everybody's going to be awkward. And so humor allows us to like laugh at the reality. Like, yeah, this is some weird shit going on. (laughs) (laughs) But we can laugh at it. Yeah, we uncomfortable. Now, you know, we sitting here laughing at it. And now the conversation is a lot easier to have. And that's what we need to get back to. Yeah. Comedy is definitely a catalyst and um, an endorphin that, you know, relaxes you and it brings people together, you know, whether you know it or not, you can all sit in the room, no matter what country you were born in or what shade you are. And you could all laugh, you know what I'm saying? Laughter is non-binary. Now, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't matter if, um, you know, someone says something that the next person might not understand because, you know, every joke ain't, ain't for everybody. You know what I'm saying? And keyword, different strokes for different folks. You know what I mean? So it's being open-minded enough to accept that it's fine if not everyone's going to get it. And like you said, with everybody being so butthurt, you know, you can't forget that you're not the only one that's going through something. You know, you Mm -hmm. got people that's, uh, I seen a video of some lady running up on Atheon Crawford on stage because, you know what I'm saying? She didn't agree with his comedy. Like, okay, that's your biggest concern. Like it's, it's people out here losing their lives every day. And this is your biggest concern. That's what you decide to fight for. Like, come on, man, you can do a lot better than that. Well, you know, it it shows where we are as a society. And for me as a comedian, like I've been in this business now for over 20 years, like I study it, like I study it on that scientific level of what it takes to get on the stage and make people laugh that you don't know. Mm -hmm. But also the political, the social and the historical aspects of it and dating back to both African history, where it was used as a tool to share our history as black people on back to and even in, in in african kingdoms you know and also back in 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 roman and greek kingdoms you always had the jester which is the comedian who was the only one who could stand in front of the king and tell the truth right nobody else could tell the truth because if they did they would get killed we are now in a society where the jester is more of the public you know, because we've cut out a lot of the politicians and stuff. It's like right to social media where people can share their opinions and things like that. And we are killing the humor. We are killing the comedians. And when we're doing doing that, that means we can no longer acknowledge the truth. That says something about where we are as a society. We can't accept the truth no more. That's mm-hmm. a problem. Yeah, you put it that way. It's a huge problem. You're absolutely right. I don't think that, I mean, you got to look at it like this. How many cover-ups have you seen come out, you know, X amount of years later from the government? You know, the truth can't, the truth doesn't make money. The truth doesn't keep people, you know what I'm saying, uh, running that, that corporate machine that fuels the fat cats. Because that's all, at the end of the day, classism rules all you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. everything that spurs from it is just you know 
people like you and me, you know, arguing with the next person because they got a few more pennies than we do or, or they got a different uh, situation than we do. You know what I mean? Because at the top, it doesn't matter to them. The only thing that matters is that while we argue, we spend the money that pays them. You know what I mean? That's right. That's right. That's right. Nah, I, I, I can't. You know, so I mean, it is what it is. You know, I, uh, I can only digest but so much, so I don't internalize everything. So, you know, when I, when I, uh, you know, go looking for, you know, stress relievers, I look for comedians like yourself, comedians like, you know, Trevor Noah, comedians like Roy Woods Jr. You know, what I'm saying people that that aren't doing those, uh those stock jokes, you know what I'm saying? That you, uh, that you see a lot of these comedians do. And it's a difference between, uh, uh, you know, a comic and an MC, you know what I'm saying? And not everybody understands that difference. So mm-hmm. let me, let me ask you this. So what was, uh, what was the first time you ever hit the stage and, um, how, how was that for you? Oh man. So the first time I ever did, comedy on a stage was when I was in uh, fifth grade at Concord Elementary School Okay. in, in uh, is that District Heights, Maryland? I think it was District Heights. It's either District Heights or Forestville, Maryland, one of the two. Okay. And um, you know, you grew up in the DMV too, so you know I, I, I don't know. But I think for us, we know growing up in the DMV for youth, for kids, we found ourselves in a lot of situations I don't think many kids anywhere else would have found themselves in. Oh, yeah, <laughs> most know? definitely. You know, we had teachers who cussed at us. You know, we had teachers who didn't give a fuck. They just walk out of class and <laughs> they don't pay me enough for this shit. I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> Some teachers used to beat us, you know what I'm saying? With permission yeah. from the parents. Or would hold us until our parents got there, let us get yeah. whooped, and then, you know, went on about their lesson. <laughs> yeah, you know, they would jack you up, you know, stuff like that. And I had a teacher, Miss Lynn, and then Mr. Mumford. They, those were the two fifth grade teachers at Concord. And I got suspended a lot growing up. Mm-hmm. I was, I never thought I've always been, I'm, I'm, I, I thank God I've always gotten along very well with everybody. Cause I mean, I relate to people very well. My thing was, I grew up again around black people who taught me not to believe anything that I learned at school, <laughs> you <Okay>. know? <laughs> so when you got a teacher who's teaching you, okay, so. Christopher Columbus came to America and he discovered America and the Indians were there. Immediately, I'm going to poke a flaw in that logic and go, okay, so if he discovered America, how did he discover it if Indians were already there? And I'm raising my hand in class. I got questions, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And it was funny the way I would ask it. And we also had, you know, a lot of of my uh, classmates were funny. We would play off of each other. But the difference was that I always was funny in that way where I could make it a presentation. Okay. And so Miss Lynn and Mr. Mumford, I don't know what happened, but our classes, you had like 80 kids, because you know them classes <laughs> used to be overcrowded. And uh, they put us all in this one class together. And they, I think our, our textbooks, we didn't get like a, uh, uh, 
they didn't deliver our textbooks or something. I forgot what had happened, but our teachers were winging it. And so this particular day in class, Miss Lynn or Mr. Mumford, who was a big and living color fan at that time, mm-hmm. knew that I was a, a funny kid. And so he said, well, why don't you come up here and tell some jokes in front of the class? And so I did for 10 minutes. And I was like, wow, this is something that I can do. And that was the first time it was in fifth grade. Wow. That's that's early. Like to have that, um, I guess, that spark of inspiration at that early of age. That's dope. I, uh, I didn't see that coming. I figured it would have probably been like high school or something. So that's what's up. Yeah, it was, it was fifth grade, and I remember when I was in preschool, because um, I, I grew up in church, too, so I grew up seeing the pastors preaching, and mm-hmm. um, the thing about it, some people call it trauma now, and I don't like the word trauma. I hate that word, trauma. Mm-hmm. I think life is traumatic, and you have to learn how to deal with your experiences. You have to learn how to allow your experience, like, Observe the experiences that you had and allow them to make you into the person you need to be, you know? And so some people will call it trauma. I don't think that it's trauma, even though, you know, it was some shit that did fuck us up as kids. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I grew up um, around adults. Like, I didn't hang out with other kids when I was growing up. I hung, I hung out around people who was 20, 30 years older than me. So we had pastors in our church who would preach, and then they would get out the pulpit, and I would, I would see them in the parking lot spitting on the ground going, hey, nigga, where my money at? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I had that, and my understanding about life was just a lot deeper than a regular five or ten year old i didn't understand what it was but i got it and so that even now that helps most of my friends now are 20 years older than i am yeah i i think that once you once you hit a certain age you realize that you know people people in uh positions of power authority or leaders and stuff like that you know, no matter how, I don't want to say like uh, great their presence is or how good they are at their job or that position, they're still human at the end of the day. And and, and when you're younger, you know what I'm saying, depending on how you were raised, you're going to look at that person the way you view, you know, other people in your life or what you see on TV, especially if you, you know, came up in the 90s like I did. So... You know, I used to I used to go to this church um, about about 20 years ago and the pastor we had, I could have swore either he used to be like on Soul Train or he did a (laughs) lot of like dancing because I swear he used to pop a lot when he was, you know, I'm saying doing his sermon. And like even when he was like, you know, doing the the prayer line, he's putting the oil on people's forehead and everything. I was like, man, ain't nobody seeing this move. Am I the only one watching him doing this? Like he's practicing (laughs) in the middle of his sermon and ain't nobody seeing this but me, like the way he would pivot on his foot. And one time I almost caught him about the moonwalk, but he stopped. I was just like, right, 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 right. This is crazy, you know. And this is in the DC, in the DC area. 
this was actually in Bladensburg. That's what it, the church was in Bladensburg. So um, that sounds about right. Yeah. So it was it was it was in an in an elementary school because you know building fun and all that good stuff. <laughs> right. 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 That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So I think that uh, you know it's just like when you see someone uh, like. Uh, well, uh, Kirk Franklin, his son in that situation, you know, everyone was putting a two cents in it. But I'm like, I, I've seen Kirk Franklin um, when I was doing security for an event. And, you know, what I'm saying, uh, you know, everybody don't they don't realize that, you know, he's a he's a man at the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? So as a, a, a gospel singer, he's not a preacher or anything, but, you know, he's he's who he has to be. He has to be, you know, say that person to keep his thing going and everyone, you know what I'm saying? Chiming him saying he went against this. He went against that. I don't think he ever said, you know, saying any, anything different outside of, you know, what he's, or he's done anything different or presented himself to be like this holy figure or nothing like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, saying so for, for him to, you know, cuss his son out or whatever, that's between him and his son. And the fact that his grown ass son decided to put it out there to get some type of help or clout, it tells you more about the son than it does about Kurt. I don't know about that. You know, I think. Uh, I don't know. I think that's very complicated. I think that's a, a very complicated situation, but I think that it's important that it did get put out there because it is allowing us to have a conversation about what it looks like to, to be somebody who may be spiritual religious mm-hmm. and, and also your reality as a human being and the different dynamics that still exist in families. And I say that as a, as a person who doesn't have the, the best relationship with my own family, we need to talk about that type of stuff. And I think it benefits people on both sides. Mm-hmm. What I've what I've accepted as I've developed more life experience is our parents are not always going to be who we want them to be. And we don't have to talk to them, you know, if it's not conducive to who we need to be as adults. Um, on the other side, as people who deal with whatever it is that we deal with, we also need clarity on what that looks like. And I think that when you had those type of conversations available. I think that it helps us to be able to distinguish and be able to navigate, you know? And so I think it's, I think it's healthy to put it out there. It makes people uncomfortable, but uncomfortable is good. All right. So putting it out there to the family is one thing, but putting it out to the world, you know, it's different if they had a discussion and they decided to speak on, you know, uh, issues inside the black homes with, you know, uh, family dynamics, you know, but I just don't like when, you know, uh, tabloids try to, you know what I'm saying, take advantage of, you know, people's family matters, especially when you, you know, how influential that social media can be, you know what I'm saying? You got people making life decisions based on comments, you know, that people making about their lives and stuff like that, you know? So that's my whole thing about it. Like, it's important that, you know, we, we as black people have those conversations and, you know, we put everything out there. We need to clear those skeletons out the closet so we don't 
you know, continue with what a lot of people have been using the word, uh, the generational curses. You know what I mean? Right. So. Well, I agree. But I mean, think about how powerful. And, and, and I say this because I don't have judgment about it. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's real life. I think it becomes a problem when people look at it and they, they try to change it from what it is. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Kirk Franklin is a man who sings gospel music and he has a private life. Mm-hmm. And that's reality right there. But I think that it helps us to have that conversation about how even in this situation where there's real life man who presents this one way mm-hmm. has these challenges at home will allow both sides to realize what it is that they're dealing with. And I think that's what's really, I don't want to say, I don't want to know if I want to use the word special, but that's what's really, that's what's really important about that is that it humanizes. And I think it does a great, a great deal for both sides because you get a lot of people who don't feel human, you know, cause they feel like they got to hide something. You know, I think there, there's something now, again, it's, it, this goes back to that comedy conversation that we were having when people can't, they can't accept the truth, you know? And I think we have lost that as a society because we're so, we're so wrapped up in image. And the reality is, is we, none of us are perfect. All of us, everybody got some mm-hmm. that they're dealing with. And we need to be able to understand you all have your thing. Now, how are you dealing with it? And I think that's what's the most important. Yeah, you're right. I think that a lot of people don't understand that, you know, fear and insecurity are within us and can be within everybody, you know, and we deal with that sometimes on a daily basis. Sometimes it's not as strong, but it's still there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that is is a part of human nature. So, I mean, without that, sometimes, you know, we don't, we don't turn out the way we, we envision ourselves to be compared to, you know, our youngest mindsets. So now that, you know, you get a little older, you get a better concept of, you know, things you were struggling with when you were younger and a preteen. And then as you as you became an adult, you started, you know, breaking those things down. But not everybody can do that. Not, like like I said earlier, not everyone is self-aware enough to dissect those parts of their lives. And I think that's mm-hmm. what's important. You know what I'm saying? Realizing that, you know, what you consider to be different or weird or you know something to be shameful for you shouldn't like you're you're a human just like me and 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 the next person and we all go through it we all have insecurities we all have fears but when you don't have the the right people teaching you that then you know saying your your line of thinking and you know your whole mindset can shift and you can just end up in the crazy situation. That's why I always thought it was crazy when I saw people my age in high school who were living on the streets. You know what I mean? Like that's that's a hard pill to swallow. But I'm just like, you mean to tell me you don't have nobody 
nobody in your family that cares enough to make sure that you're not outside begging for change or hanging out in front of the store like that? Like, I, uh, But I mean, there's another conversation because sometimes you don't, that that right there, and see, now we're getting all deep. I hope the people who are listening, I hope y'all got a blunt in your hand. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I mean, it, it, that that's the reality is, again, this is something that we've had somebody, we don't know who gave it this to us, who said, oh, you know, this is your family and, and this is what family has to look like. The reality is, is your family, the only loyalty to them you have is your blood. That's it. Mm-hmm. But if you know anything about history, if you know anything about the thing, how, how things really are, is sometimes even people who share blood with you, those are going to be the people who, who treat you the worst. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately, but I mean, that's, that's the reality. And a lot of people, they, for some reason, a lot of people can't accept that because, again, we have been handed this idea, oh, this is your family. This is what the structure needs to look like. You don't know what you're going to get. A lot of the times your biggest enemies will be your family and the biggest supporters and people who pull you through those times where you really don't know you might get through. They're going to be people you don't know, people you never met before, people who you don't got no history with. And those are going to be the people who reach down and pick you up, and lift you up. And, you know, so again, when you when you see the way things really are, I just think it's, it's important to be able to accept that. And again, when it comes back to humor. I think the humor allows you to be able to survive that. Yeah, most definitely. I, you know, I've been in crazy situations um, that people wouldn't believe. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, uh, I, uh, I, I met a serial hitchhiker. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and when you hear that, you're thinking like, what is he talking about? Like this guy. Um, he was like in his seventies, maybe early eighties, but he had um, dementia. Okay. And he ended up on my street. I ended up talking to him. Uh, you know, I was fixing my car, and he asked me for a ride, and he wanted to drop him off at his house. And he stayed right there off of T Street in Northeast. Okay. So I was like, cool. All right. Um. I'll drop I'll drop you off or whatever. We end up going to the house. Um, he ends up becoming like uh, real disillusional, like like he forgot where he was or whatever. And I'm confused by the situation. So, long story short, I end up knocking on the door of the house that he had me take him to. Right, and lady comes to the door. She's like, he doesn't live here. Um, this is the fourth time it's happened since I lived here. Apparently, he used to stay there back in the seventies and Every now and then he finds people to bring him to the house. He ended up, I ended up finding out from the police that he ended up uh, escaping from St. Elizabeth's Hospital that morning and somehow made it to me. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, T, hold on one second. <laughs> Can we take a minute to talk about St. Elizabeth's? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't know about St. You know, they, we, we used to call it St. E's. <laughs> mm-hmm. They still do, still do. St. <laughs> E's, St. E's had the craziest people who came out of there. Yeah. So if they came out of St. E's, you know it was a story attached to them. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, 
I became one of his uh, stories that, you know, hopefully, you know, he's doing a lot better. I was just glad that, you know, someone who didn't want to see him walking around in 30 degree weather, you know, just ignored him. I, I, you know, even though I went through a little trouble with the police or whatever, you know, at least he got back to where he needed to be. But, you know, uh, all types of crazy situations happen every day. You know what I'm saying? You mm-hmm. see him on the news, your friends tell you about him. And I think it's important that we don't judge, you know what I'm saying? Anybody, because you never know, you know, what got, what led them to that point. Right. So, yeah. you know, I think that if we had a lot more people who were open-minded enough to ask the question instead of assuming and then, you know what I'm saying, the, this world can start being a little better. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And again, we, we, we should go back to comedy, though. OK, that's where that's where comedy comes in, because if you can. The thing about it is everything is not for you to understand right off because we're human. We don't know everything. When you're able to laugh at something, when you're able to look at something to make a joke, a joke out of it, that allows your brain the bandwidth to be able to start processing it. Even if you don't understand it, if you can laugh at it, that allows you to be able to look at it and acknowledge the reality of what's going on, which I think is healthy because life is going to throw you some curveballs. And we have really, it's insane the way we have gotten away from the ability to laugh at stuff. Um, And again, I, I blame it on social media. Okay. So why, why, why exactly would you blame it on social media? Social media is because when you see it, it this is a place where you come for validation. Mm-hmm. If you think back to the 80s and 90s, nothing was about, I mean, of course you had people who may have had low self-esteem. You had shy people. Do you ever see shy people anymore? No, you don't. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you, you see people who, the thing about shy people, most shy people live in their heads. If you look at social media, there may be a shy person and shy, we don't break down the characteristics of what that might mean, you know, but shy might, shy basically is somebody who doesn't feel the most comfortable expressing themselves outwardly to people. Mm -hmm. When that is someone, you can get on a, a platform like social media and you can express yourself the way you experience the world in your head, which is a lot more interesting which is why you might see someone who's able to do that on social media and then you meet them in person. You're like, this crazy motherfucker, this motherfucker was <laughs> awkward. He couldn't hold no conversation, you know? Um, and, and then we, we don't know how to have that conversation about social anxiety and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The thing about humor, though, is humor allows us to be able to do that. You, with humor, you might not be able to... <laughs> You might not be able to put a, a put a put a name on it, a label on it, but you can describe it. You can describe what the experience was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can describe how the the way it made you feel, what yeah. this crazy shit was like, you know. <laughs> and it's you can be honest about it. Whereas if you got somebody who's on the other side who might be able to do it too, now you can have this conversation. But it's like now there's this thing where you get this one side who doesn't understand something that really, realistically, it does not make sense. Mm 
because we have X'd out this human equation out of it because everybody's um, posturing. And so now I present this way. This is who I am. You don't get to question it. Because if you're questioning, if you're questioning this, you're anti whatever it is I'm saying that I am. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So for instance, I just did an interview a few minutes ago before I came on here with a, a wonderful trans woman. And I was explaining to her why I support Dave Chappelle. Okay. Number one is because I'm a comedian. And number two, I'm comfortable with myself as a black gay man. I know who I am. I know how people might feel about it. Now I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you, you know, because I know who I am. I know I'm a good dude. And so I think if you really know who you are, you really truly know who you are. You can't be shook by nothing about. So if somebody say some gay shit, some you know, say so if it's a funny joke, I'm gonna laugh at it. <laughs> it, it better be funny. Okay. You know, and if you can laugh with them about it, they automatically are more comfortable with you because it's like, oh, okay, you're comfortable with yourself. Now we can have a conversation. So they're gonna follow up. Well, why do y'all do this? Well, that's not, I'm not y'all, I'm me. You know, now you can make that connection with the person. But for instance, if you look at certain parts of our community, and not just our community, but it might be black and white. It might be men and women. It might be somebody who is disabled versus not disabled. Whatever. Whatever differences there are. People can't acknowledge comfortably what their differences are. So, for instance, with the trans folks and with some gay people, they go, we want to be a part of society. But when society makes fun out of you like we do with everybody else. You go, don't make fun out of me. When you do that, you are saying, I'm not a part of y'all. So you're excluding yourself. Whereas if you get in there and you say, yeah, that shit is funny. That shit is funny as fuck and it's true. (laughs) (laughs) And you might be able to follow up with a joke that's just as funny. Mm -hmm. Now you're a part of what's going on. And we, the social media, we're so stuck on what things look like as opposed to dealing with what they really are. And it's fucking us up. It really is fucking us up. I, you know, my whole thing about that is, you know, I was always taught, believe none of what you see and half of what you hear. There you go. You know, so... Just because I see something I, doesn't doesn't make it all. You know what I'm saying? Doesn't make everything true. You know what I'm saying? Like it's some, you know, videos that you can't edit, you can't doctor. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes, and, and you're there and you see uh, that moment reposted. Sure, but I'm I'm never the type of person that's going to take what I see on someone's profile or someone's you know, story or, you know, someone's life is, is factual or a hundred percent guaranteed the truth. You know, I'm more of a person that's going to, uh, you know, talk to you to your face or talk to you directly and, you know, basically read what type of person you are, how you respond to certain questions and stuff like that, <clears throat> because that's how, you know, and, you know, sometimes people can't convey, uh, you know, what they really mean through, through words, they do it through actions. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. that's what's more important. Like, you know, I can I can sit in the room with a bunch of people that might hate my guts, but until they verbalize it or they show me that, I'm gonna treat them like anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that's what needs to happen. Like stop putting so much faith in everything you see. Everything you see and everything you read is not the gospel. You know what I'm saying? You know, you can't just take someone's word for it and be like, oh, I gotta, uh, this person said I should do this in, in order for me to get better. How do you know? Have you done research? Have you tested? Have you have you dieted? Have you fasted? You don't know what's best for you until you do the research, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, most people aren't that intelligent. I, you know, I, I don't like to call people dumb. But most of us are just grown babies walking around, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and we need leadership. So that's why we need a president. That's why we need a mayor. That's why we need a governor. That's why we need this. That's why we, because most of us are just grown kids who don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And most people are, most people govern themselves by what they feel. They're too busy thinking about what they feel as opposed to what really is. And that really takes stepping outside of yourself. And a lot of people don't have the capacity to do that. I think it, it really is a survival mechanism. But, you know, one of the one of the things that's helped me to do, to do that, again, is humor. Like, when you can laugh at shit, when you can laugh at it, you're able to detach yourself from it and not give a fuck. <laughs> you're like, okay, this is what it is. Let's laugh at it. I don't like this about me. I don't like this about you. But when we can laugh at it, it's like, all right, now we, we can confront it. Let's deal with this shit. Man, <clears throat> that's, you know, it's a, it's one of those like five keys to life. You know what I'm saying? Humor and laughter. And not everybody, not everybody can understand or appreciate it neither. You know, mm-hmm. we, when I was a kid, um, one of the, one of my earliest memories of enjoying like movies and, and comedy was was Eddie Murphy, and I remember I think I I might have been four or five watching Coming mm-hmm. to America, and I was like, Prince Hakeem is funny, like this dude is <laughs> funny, right? And then like maybe a few months later, I see Beverly Hills Cop too, and I'm like. Why doesn't Prince Hakeem have his his accent? Like he's still funny, but this, you know. Then I started realizing, you know, the concept of actors. But I said, "Oh, this is Eddie Murphy. Eddie mm-hmm. Murphy has a direct connection to my funny bone. Like it doesn't matter what he's doing, his facial expression, his mannerisms. Like you know, what I'm saying, like I don't think I don't think this generation can." you know, uh, get outside of their own way because it's not a rarity like that. Like to, to have seen, you know, coming to America on TV, I had to catch that like on UPN on a Saturday afternoon. Cause we didn't have cable like that. Or, right, you know what right. I'm saying? Uh, uh, my mother had the VCR in her room and I didn't want to watch what she wanted to watch. So in order for me to watch the movies I wanted, you know what I'm saying? I had to get my own VCR or watch what she, you know what I'm saying? So because everything's at their fingertips, there's no appreciation for it because it's, it's so accessible. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it. You remember when, uh, when VCR tapes was the shit? 
Oh yeah. So that was a shit to have a VCR tape. <laughs> <laughs> and now, I mean, look at us now. We got computers and phones. You can download anything you want on the phone now. Absolutely. So which is which is scary because um I think one of the one of the things that made what what when we were growing up fun was the mystery attached to a lot of things. Understanding it, learning it, figuring it out, but there's no mystery with things and everything is like red basically just go when we was little i didn't know what a pussy looked like till i was 18. no i did i knew what it looked like but i was scared i was terrified you know what, what but, did you what did you think was going to happen when you saw it <laughs> I didn't know. I thought I would get lost in there or something. I didn't know. You know, <laughs> you know, when we were kids, we would flash each other and stuff like that. But there was still mystery attached to that because mm-hmm. it was just mystery attached to it. Now, I mean, it's like now. And again, this this goes back to some of this deep thinking and philosophical thinking that we're having. I think that people have way too much access to things now. Mm-hmm. I think people are too intelligent for their own good now. Is it intelligent because you have a smartphone? Because there's a lot of dummies with smartphones. Well, this is true. I think people have too much access to information. I think what makes you wise is when you get bit by bit and when you're able to really accept it as a truth. Mm-hmm. And that aspect is gone now. That's what it is. I'm a firm believer in common sense not being common. Mm-hmm. And which was <laughs> always the case, but now that's to the tenth power. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that's to the tenth power. You know, a lot of people. Um, you know, those people who are just being themselves and, and they go viral from like. Uh, uh, a video or whatever, you know, that's kind of their superpowers. And those were diagnosed as ADD or erratic or special or whatever back in the day. And I think that, you know, being pidgey told like that is, is what created, you know, those angry, frustrated people and made them become so erratic as they got older. So, um, and in my belief, I believe that we need better you know teachers not just in the school system but in life and you know more open-minded guidance counselors and stuff like that like people who took their job seriously like you know when i was younger my first job uh paid me five dollars an hour and if i was trying to you know live on five dollars an hour a day i i probably i don't know what i would do but I work for I work for that check. I work for that two fifty three thirteen at the end of them two weeks. You know what I'm saying? And because because life has changed, of course you gotta evolve with it. But not everybody takes that. You know, it's uh everybody wants everybody wants the easy money. No one wants to, you know what I'm saying, do that job. You know what I'm saying? So I think that because of that, of course, you don't want your kids and, and your loved ones to struggle like you did, but they need that instilled to them. They need to know what it's like to actually earn your money and, you know what I'm saying, uh, 
take pride in your work. You know, that's right. And that's and that's what that's what this new generation is missing, because don't get me wrong. It's good to have options and, and be able to sit home and play video games, get paid for from all these viewers you got and everything. But can any of those skills translate in the real world? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, a lot of them, they don't they don't understand that it's everybody wants like that quick, that quick fix now. Mm-hmm. And I'm 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 really happy. I think we both got that is is learning that, you know, sometimes stuff is not going to work out the way you wanted to work out. And that doesn't mean you have failed. That just means that you got to figure out how to navigate to getting to a space where you are seeing more of the results that you want to see. You know, but um, again, it's it, I don't know, it's it's complicated. It's very complicated. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, but such is life. You know what I mean? <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, you uh, you've you've accomplished a lot in your life. You uh, you've done some writing, uh, filmmaker, uh, activist, and you're also an author. And <clears throat> I actually ordered your book the other day. The perspective Thank you. of being a gay man in America. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm waiting for it to come in because Amazon is some shit around here, and <clears throat> you know that 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 next day shipping thing sometimes it don't work out that way, but uh, I'm looking forward to checking it out, and um, I, I want I want you to tell me about this book and what inspired you to write it. So first, thank you for ordering that book, and uh, hopefully Amazon get their shit together and, and, and get that over there to you. You know, the thing that inspired me to write it is um, even though I'm a black gay man, I don't I don't think that makes me special. You know what I mean? It's like even if I wasn't gay, somebody's still going to look at me and find something about me that they don't like. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter who you are. The only job you had, the only two jobs you have is to be who you are, and the other job is to not give a fuck when nobody thinks about what you got going on. Because you have to live with you and you have to be comfortable being who you are. And it took me a lot, it took me a long time to really understand that, what that really meant. And the reason why I wrote that book was because as a comedian, I really pride myself on getting on stage being funny. I feel like when I think if you have people who are coming out to see you after a long day of work or whatever they got going on, they're coming out to see you tell just I come from that school, like, fuck the bullshit. Fuck, oh, I don't feel like it. My stomach was hurt, my mental health. If you're on stage to be a comedian or a singer, whatever it is you're doing, that's what you want stage to do. So when I was creating a lot of the material that I did that I did during that particular time that I wrote the book, a lot of things that I created that material came from were very. Um, some of it was serious, some of it was painful, some of it was stuff that I didn't quite understand because. When you live in a society that tells you how you love or who you're attracted to is not right. Any normal human being is going to start questioning everything about themselves. Uh-huh. And so that book is just full of essays about what those questions were, 
it was essays to challenge myself, essays to challenge people who maybe thought some of the things that I was thinking about how I, who I was attracted to. And also the other side, like people who were interested in knowing what it was like. But again, a lot of people, they might have questions. I don't think people are necessarily homophobic. I think that's lazy to, to say people are homophobic. I think people don't understand things. Mm-hmm. And I wrote, I wrote the book for people who don't understand things, for people who... who who I think if you were a decent person, I think people will like you, but people will be like, man, this dude is cool. This person is cool, but like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote it for those people. And the thing that I, that I really want the gay community and the trans community to get better at is realizing that people don't have to say, oh, I, I accept how you love. That's not for them to do. Because even if you were straight, if you got with some girl who was a hoe or, you know, who, whatever, somebody still gonna have a problem with something that you do. Mm-hmm. You have to get comfortable with yourself. And I wrote the book just be- to challenge everything. To be very honest and say, hey, this is a conversation that's not happening enough in the Black community, but this is what my thoughts are. It's okay to feel however you feel on both sides. And I think that's what we need to be honest about. Like, it, we're human beings. Like, nothing is, very, very few things are very concrete. Somebody is always going to have a question about something. And the book was written to give people the, nobody has the answers, but it was written to give people considerations, things that help you consider finding a place to settle in on things that you may be interested in trying to trying to figure out okay so does it the uh have you ever been in a situation where like you were being brought up on stage and someone said that you were a, a gay comedian or a black gay comedian like uh labels are strong, especially in this day and age. So has, is, that, is that a hurdle you had to get over? Or is that something that really doesn't bother you? It doesn't bother me because I know that if I meet somebody, they're going to... I'm not just a gay person. Mm-hmm. That's just a small part of who I am. That's 10% of who I am. Mm-hmm. I know that what I've been through I know the type of person that I pride myself on being. I know the way that I approach life. If a person meets me, even if they have a problem with, you know, how I get down at home, <laughs> you know, they're gonna like they go they're gonna be like, that dude is dope. It comes down to again knowing who you are. And my identity is not tied up in that little small part. Because even if even if it's not gay, it's going to be like, okay, well, why does he like to sleep with hoes? <laughs> you know, it's going to be, why does he, why does he do this? Or why did somebody's going to find something. And I have just always, and since I've known what it's like to be a person, I've just always proud of myself on showing up authentically that I know when I meet somebody, 
they're going to relate because I'm real. Mm-hmm. So me being gay is, is nothing. You know, it's, it's, I feel like there are some people who are, um, they get so wrapped up in certain parts of their identity because that's the only thing about themselves that they feel like they can rest on. It like makes them special. And me being gay is not what makes me special. Like I'm a black man. I have knowledge about things. Like I'm, even though I'm not like, I'm not like a gregarious, I'm not like super social. Like I'm a people person. Like I get people. And for that reason, people get me. And I just feel like if you show up like that, people get that. And even if it's something like about you that they don't understand because they get you, they're willing to try to figure the rest of it out. I really don't feel like sexuality is that big of an issue. I think it's more of an issue that people lack, people lack that connection that we need as human beings that are just different from who we know. Uh if that makes sense. Like, none of us are the same. I'm not going, like, like me, I, I'm not going to be sitting up kissing on another dude in front of people because, number one, I just think whatever you do in your bedroom, that's your business. Uh-huh. People don't need to know that. And then, number two, it's like, you are here to meet, to know me as a person. I'm a good dude. I'm a dope dude. And so it doesn't matter who I sleep with. That's that's a different equation, but I'm not going to hide that either. And I think when you show up like that, when we all show up like that, it's like, this is who I am. Honestly, I think that, you know, um, there's mutual respect that happens because there's no agenda attached to it. You don't have those type of, <clears throat> you don't have those type of experiences like it used to be because now it's more of, you know, it's either one side or the other. It's never no happy median. You know what I'm saying? You either hearing about uh, a hate act going on or you hear about a new law being passed to prevent things like that from happening. You know what I mean? So until there's more understanding, you know, you always going to have that disconnect. And, yes. you know what I'm saying? And, and that's what we need to fix. I mean, don't get me wrong. This country is a few hundred years short of being what we can consider to be fixed or get back on the right track. But, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's important that people are open-minded and they're willing to accept people for who they are because they're doing the same thing to you. You just haven't gave them the chance yet. That's right. You know, and it's, and it, and it does take being comfortable in who you are. You can't solely exist expecting for other people to accept what you got going on. Like, I think if you accept who you are, you know, if you aren't out here trying too hard, if you're out here focused on making people accept what you got going on, it makes it a lot easier for both sides. Most definitely. Most definitely. So as far as stand up uh, in 2021, I know that um, I know that you uh, you working on a set right now, but. Uh, who are some of the people that you uh, you're fans of these days? You know, like um, some of the uh, the younger comedians. Of course, you, you know you got uh, you know people like Cat Williams and Red Grant and Lunell, who's out here doing it. Is there anybody that you uh, you find yourself uh, a fan of these days? 
uh, out of the younger generation opposed to the to the OGs in the game? I I mostly study the OGs because um, there's just a certain there's a certain importance in studying the blueprint. Mm-hmm. I really believe in excellence when it comes down to the craft. So it, it's really about challenging myself to 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 continue to rise to that standard. At the same time, you know, being a, a, a black gay comedian, which I've been for over 20 years, and I was that before it became cool, mm-hmm. before anybody was talking about acceptance in the industry or anybody cared about black gay, I was doing that. Um you know, the, the craft was most important, but there there are a few youngins. Um, Paris Sachet is one who okay. uh, I remember when she first started. I don't know, I just liked her. And when I was doing my shows in D.C., I always invited her to come host for me. And since then, she started doing her thing. And I've really enjoyed seeing her evolve in her own artist. There's another uh, black gay comedian, and this is huge because being being a black gay artist in this industry, when I was coming up, it was hard to find a gig. So I've never been insecure about my talent because I know that I'm very talented, highly talented, but it was more on what shit, (laughs) you know, it's hard for it. a couple of us who running around to find a gig. If we start bringing other ones in, how are any of us gonna work? I had to. I had to work through that. But there's another one who I really enjoy, and he's been around for I think maybe about five years. And his name is Dwayne Perkins. I really like him. And um, Yamanika Sanders. Um, I like Miss Pat. Okay. I like. Um, there are a lot of folks who are doing comedy. None of them stick out though to me because I'd be too busy. I'm too busy back here with the OGs. Okay. So who are some of your favorite OGs? Oh, well, we gotta go back. So Moms Mabley is is one of the ones. A lot of people don't know who Moms Mabley is. Mm-hmm. If you don't know who Moms Mabley is, you gotta break out the old Apollo theater tapes. Uh, Mobs Mabley was one of the first black stand, black female stand-up comedians, and she was doing it back in the fifties and sixties when there were no black women doing comedy. She would dress up like an old lady because during that time, being black doing stand-up was dangerous because you couldn't perform flat-footed as a stand-up comedian during the Jim Crow era. And so, to have a black woman stand up on stage and talk about racism civil rights, Jim Crow. And it was so dangerous that she had to dress up as a black woman, as an old black lady, you know, so she could do her jokes. You got to check her out. Hilarious. Red Fox is also one of my favorites. Okay. Um, Richard Pryor, you you cannot, I don't think you can be a, he doesn't have to be your favorite, but if you are a black comedian, you cannot give a nod to Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor contributed so much to, to black comedy and the comedy in general that you cannot be a comedian and not acknowledge the greatness that him being the king of comedy presented. Uh, Dick Gregory is another one mm-hmm. 
who I'm really lucky I got a, uh, several opportunities to meet and work around. Uh, Paul Mooney. I toured with Paul Mooney for several years. Um, who else? Uh, Sinbad. Anybody who was on Deaf Comedy Jam. Okay. Because that was a breaking point for Black comedy. So, I mean, any of them. I mean, and I'm really lucky. I'm so blessed, Chief, that I've had an opportunity to work with Martin Lawrence, to work with... Uh, you know, Mike Epps, some more, Adele Gibbons, Monique, Michael Blackson, you know, um, Black comedy royalty. The Wayans, the Wayans family, it's, this is Black comedy royalty. Man, that's dope. Like, all the people you just named is all people that, you know, either made me laugh or inspired me in some way in my life. Like, you know, uh, especially Martin Lawrence and, and Richard Pryor, like, you know, at one point in time, that's who you saw on TV all the time on the billboards or in the movie theaters. Like, you know, I, I sit back and I watch like Brewster's Millions or Hear No Evil, See No Evil, like, you know, a couple of times a year just to get that laugh because not everybody gets it. Like, these people are just naturally funny and you put them yes. in a regular situation and, and they're going to show, they're going to act a fool. And it's going to be the, to me, it's going to be the funniest shit ever. Everybody else might not get it. That's right. You know, it's, you know, in living color, uh, Arsenio Hall, who he always, the great thing about Arsenio and a lot of people don't know this is Arsenio always challenged the status quo. And um, the second go around when he came back, with his comedy, uh, with his talk show in the, in the mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were going to have me to come on. And I was supposed to go on during the second season. And right before I was supposed to go on, his show got canceled. But the fact that he and his, his crew were willing to have an openly gay black comedian on during a time before that became popular, even in the mid 2000s was still, it was still important. And I mean, that's, again, that's what comedy is about. Comedy is about pushing those boundaries and making people laugh at things we might not understand, but it makes it comfortable enough for us to be able to understand and be able to talk about it. So what is, uh, what is one of the best things you got from comedy? understanding people, understanding life, because I think some of us are taught what life is. And most of the time, what we've been taught about life is not true. And so when you can laugh at what the reality is, it helps you develop into a better person because you're open-minded enough and you're less impacted by the things that many people are affected by in a way that you can laugh at it and you can deal with it in a more realistic way. You know, um, conversations that I can have with other Black people. Because again, like the LGBTQ community gets so caught up in, oh, you know, these people, they don't like, they don't like the way I live. They don't like who I am. And nobody's going to like everything you do completely. But being able to show up to a comedy club and to still get a standing ovation in front of people who, who don't 
live like I do, but they still can relate to me and they still, we can still laugh together. That's, that's powerful. Yeah, man. I, um, I envy that, that ability to get up on stage and just, you know, let it all hang out. But of course you have like that, that natural talent to just, you know, I don't want to say tell a joke, but to actually just, you know, speak in a way that's going to, you know what I'm saying, tickle someone's funny bone. And I think, you know, people like you is what's keeping us together. Because at the end of the day, at the end of a bad day, you want one of two things. You want some type of comfort through food or some type of weed or liquor. Or you want something that's going to make you laugh and forget about that. You know what I'm saying? All, uh, All three. All three is the best. <laughs> all, all, all three plus sex, I guess. You know what I'm saying? So it is the best. <laughs> all of the, all of that, all of that works in conjunction with each other, and you know, without that, I don't think that you know. What I'm saying we will be where we are today. You know, what I'm saying if if someone didn't make a, a ruler or a dictator laugh, then he would probably would have killed most of the people. You know what I'm saying? So. Comedy saying lives, and that means that comedians are lifesavers, in my opinion. <laughs> That's right. Hey, so you you need to add that to your uh to your bio, uh, just to put asterisks and put lifesaver at the bottom. You know what I'm saying? Comedians, we are. I think we are lifesavers. We we offer that perspective that allow allow that uh, extra sweetness because life is. I think life is what you make it, but I think being able to laugh at it allows you an extra grace. You know, if you are not, and, and I'm one of those people, I believe in a higher power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, next to a higher power, if you have the ability to be able to laugh, that makes life a lot sweeter to be able to get through, a lot easier. Most definitely, most definitely. Man, <clears throat> this has been dope, man. I, uh, I appreciate you for joining me today and sharing a little bit of your life story with me. I honestly, uh, I didn't know what to expect, but I was like, man, this dude is funny. And after watching a couple of your interviews and, you know, seeing your videos and everything, I was like, I I definitely want to get to know this person. And, you know, after, you know, having this conversation with you, man, we got to do this again. Absolutely. We definitely can Okay. Okay. No doubt. No doubt. So, um, why don't you, uh, you know, let the people know where they can find you. If there's anything you want them to uh, check out, you know what I'm saying? You go ahead and let them know right now. Okay. So, uh, I have a new film out on Amazon prime called love the one you're with. It's really funny. And it's just a great story. Check it out. Uh, love the one you're with on Amazon prime. And also, uh, I have a new film that will be out uh, very soon with Jesse Smollett called B-Boy Blues. It's based on the 1994 uh, novel by James Earl Hardy. And it's another great film. And it doesn't matter who you are, or what you got going on. If you appreciate something that's good, you're going to be able to look at both of these films and relate to them. And my latest comedy special called Church Boy is on uh, YouTube. So definitely go on YouTube and check it out. It could, it's hilarious. It could easily be on Netflix, but we put it on YouTube. That's what you got to do sometimes. Okay. I'm going to check that out. Um, you got any shows uh, coming up in the DC area? 
I actually don't tell nobody, but I just I just did a show this weekend in D.C. at Martin's Crosswinds with uh, Flame Monroe. We did a show, I think it was Saturday or Friday. What is the day? Thursday? We yeah. did it. Corona got us all fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> we did the show on uh, Monday. Okay, and, and and green belt, and it was really good. So hopefully, I'll be back in DC actually next August at the DC Comedy Law. So by the time I get back, I have a lot of great new jokes. Okay, yeah. If uh, uh, you said next August, well, hopefully, um, I'll be able to catch you before that. But I, you know, say I love to see you, uh, you know, stand up in person. You know, what I'm saying, don't get me wrong, um. You know, having access to, you know, uh, good content is one thing, but I miss live shows. You know what I'm saying? So ain't nothing like going to like a good live show, whether it be music, comedy or whatever. Your live shows are where it's at. Okay. So uh, uh, your social media? Yes. So Instagram at Samson McCormick. Uh, You can also check out SamsonComedy.com and uh you know, just Google Samson McCormick. There are articles, there are videos, there's everything out there. And I mean, there are tons of content. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I can say, honestly, thank God, I could not do this without something stronger than me. Is uh, There's a lot of content out there. That's, it, it's really great, funny content that you will enjoy that you can look at if you look up my name. So just check out Samson McCormick, and I promise you will thoroughly enjoy what you see. No doubt, no doubt. Ladies and gentlemen, I am your host, the Landover Legend, a.k.a. Big T, and this has been another installment of the I Can't Make This Up podcast. That's I Can't with a K, Make This Up podcast. You can find me everywhere podcasts are available. I'm also on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you enjoyed this show, please leave a like, comment, and share. And if you didn't, let me know in the comments and I'll block you. Until next time, (laughs) peace. I can't make this up. Being the winged man got me punched in the face by this crazy chick. I can't make this up. Gave this cool old man to ride home. Now I'm harboring the fugitive. I can't make this up. Pin between the fat chick and the speaker. Now my shirt smell like her backside. I can't make this up. It's all bad because my man about to get stabbed in his hand over french fries. Bad. And I'ma let the land over legend do the rest. I'm out.